Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Good morning to you all. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Victory Church. I'm going to use this microphone to preach with. You can use this one to say amen with, okay? Say amen. Let's practice. All right? That's for you. All right? Good to see you this morning. Boy, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited about launching this new sermon series that I had no idea that I was going to launch until last Sunday. Um, Pastor Paul was preaching last Sunday morning. We weren't even supposed to be back uh, last Sunday, and we came back early, and I uh, was blessed to be able to sit under his preaching last week, and uh, he made a statement in his message. Do you remember what it was? It's, a, it's the statement that we threw out on our Twitter and Facebook status, and we asked you to share it and send it out um, on your Facebook and your Twitter and what have you. The status was, may this be the year that the church reclaims what? The culture. May this be the year the church reclaims the culture. Well, whenever he said that last week in his message, you ever have those moments when you're just sitting under the preaching of the Word of God and it seems like the Holy Spirit gives you one of those Holy Spirit thumps? You know, uh, I, 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 I kind of relate it back to when I was a boy and I sat in church with my mom and she sat beside me, and she always had her arm around us, and I thought that was just because she loved us. I later realized that was to give me the thump, right? You know, whenever I was acting up or doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing or talking or playing or doodling or whatever, and she would thump me on the ear or on the head or whatever, and she kind of would get my attention. She never had to say a word, just a thump, and then she looked straight ahead at the preacher. I knew exactly what I had done and what I needed to do. You guys been there, done that? You kind of experienced that a little bit? Well, the Holy Spirit kind of gave me one of those thumps last week. Uh, as soon as Pastor Paul said that, may this be the year the church reclaims the culture. My mind started racing. I felt that thump, if you will, from the Holy Spirit. And he said, park there. And I'm like, how? My goodness, what a task. Whenever you think about that statement, no offense to Paul or nothing, take nothing away from what he said, that statement is pretty easy to say, right? But it's a little bit more difficult to do and to put into action. Uh, matter of fact, last week we asked you to throw that out on Facebook, and I think at my last look, I don't know what the number is today, uh, but it was somewhere around twelve or 1,300 uh, likes on that, on that particular Status And I thought, wow, we were able to impact that many people with just a status that we threw out here at the church. Now what? So that's what I've been pondering all week long. What do we do now? What is our next step? And then I backed up from that because if we think about, if we ask the question, what is our next step? That implies that we've already taken possibly a step or two or three, right? So then I backed up and I said, for heaven's sakes, forget about what is the next step. What's the first step? What, how, what do we even do to set out to reclaim 
the culture that we live in today. So that has been rumbling around in this empty head of mine all week long. And I've really tried to be, try, I've really tried to be able to pull some things from Scripture to kind of give us some direction on what we can do, some action steps, if you will, on what we can do to put that statement, to get it off of our Facebook status and to get it into our heart and get it into our life and help us to live that out. So at the end of 2015, when we're standing at the threshold of 2016, we can look back and we can say, you know, Victory Church did what we could do to reclaim our culture. But it's going to take every single one of us working together. It's going to take every single one of us being, here's a key word, intentional. Everybody say intentional. It's going to take us being intentional when we live this Christian life in order to reclaim and take back our culture. Let's pray and then I just want to get into an introduction. Matter of fact, just about all of this message is just going to be by way of introduction. I have two little action steps or key points at the end that I want to give you. Uh, Paul preached like that last week and it worked, so we'll just continue with that trend, right? Uh, but this is kind of just laying the framework and then I want us to get into a little bit more of the details of it starting next week. But I just want to try to lay the foundation for what we're going to be building upon in the next, uh, I don't know, six, six or so weeks. I've kind of already put together six ideas or six themes or six statements that I'm trying to build sermons around. So you pray for me as I, as I work on that. But let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for just your presence here this morning. Father, we thank you for being with us. We thank you that your word teaches us that you never leave us and you never forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that you promised us that you would meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful plan of salvation, for the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was to die. We thank you, Lord, for the cross and for the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son, Jesus, and, and how through all of that you've made a way that sinful John Cannon could be restored into a right fellowship and relationship with you. And, Father, we thank you for that. We ask your blessings now as we study together, as we talk about this idea together. I pray, God, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would, you would pierce each individual that's here today, and you would thump us as you thumped me last week and help us, Lord, to, I don't know, do something. Help us to not sit back and say, the world's gone crazy and stick our head in the sand. But God, help us with your leadership and your guidance and your direction. Lead us, help us to go about the action of reclaiming our culture. And I don't know what the end of that road looks like. To be honest with you, I'm not real sure what the beginning looks like. But God, we're going to start. We're going to do the best we can to live out that statement in the year 2015. I ask your blessings on our time together. Help me, Lord. All these thoughts that are running through my mind, help me to deliver them in the way you would have them delivered. May you receive honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever we think about reclaiming our culture, there's, there's one key word that just jumps out at me, and it's the word truth. Guys, you realize that we are in a battle for truth today? Uh, do you realize that we are in a battle for absolute truth?
today. So whenever you think about reclaiming our culture, I think we've got to understand that, that we as believers and we have, as Christians have got to understand that in God's Word, He has given us truth. Right? In the Word of God, in the Scriptures that are there for us, He has unpacked for us. God has revealed in His Word, in Scripture, truth. So in doing that, I think, there are, I think that means three things. Whenever we understand that truth is revealed to us in Scripture, I think that really means three things for us. And now, first of all, number one, and I don't think I have a slide for this, but I want you to get this. First of all, number one, it means all of humans in all times have truth, right? Because we have God's Word. Humans have access to truth. And it applies to all people in all times. Truth doesn't change. Remember the scripture says when God said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whenever he gave us the God-breathed pneuma word of God, he breathed into his word. And the authors pinned down the word, the scripture for us which is infallible, which is inerrant, which is inspired by God, the truth of God's Word. So that Word is available to all humans, all people, of all times, in all circumstances, in all situations, truth is there. But I also want you to see, I believe secondly, whenever we think about that, we have a truth that transcends, get this now, we have a truth that transcends our limited and mistaken, sometimes mistaken, perceptions. Okay? So you've you got to let that sink in a little bit. We have the truth. And I want you to see that and know that that truth transcends our limited and sometimes mistaken perceptions. So in short, we have absolute truth. And the absolute truth is what God says is truth in His Word. But there's a common view today. The common view that runs through, or a thread that runs through our culture today is this. Truth is no longer absolute. Truth is relative. Right? Truth is relative. It's always changing with different people, different situations, different circumstances, when you get more knowledge, truth will then change. That's kind of what our culture says. I disagree with that. I hope our church, by the way, this is for you, right? Remember, this is for you? That would have been a good spot right there, right? We do not believe that truth changes. Truth is truth. What God said in His Word is true. I used to say back in the day, if it hair lips you and your mama, it's still true. Since then, I've taken off your mama because that's a little disrespectful. So if it hair lips you, it's still true, right? We've got truth. But our culture today is twisting that. And ever so slightly. It's not a massive twist. It's subtle. And over a period of time we fall into the deception of Satan, the culture, and the world, and secular humanism, and we start accepting 
what they are telling us as truth is true. And we've got to get back to the Bible, friends. We've got to look into God's Word. If we are going to reclaim this culture, the only way we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And the only way we can reclaim this culture is when we get back to the fundamental truths of the Word of God and we start living those out. Those never change. Theology and doctrine and God's Word, those things never change. It's truth, right? Now, methodology and how we practice some of those things and live some of those things out, the way we carry out the truth, some of the methods may change, but the truth remains the same. Are you with me? So that's kind of the nutshell of what we're going to be jumping off here. I ran across a, um, a poll, a survey that George Barnum conducted, and this is one of his annual surveys, and it's George Barnum. How many are familiar with George Barnum and some of his surveys that he has that are out there? He did a random, he just threw out a statement to a, just a random group of adults. He didn't really target individual groups, and, and uh, he just he kind of threw this out. It's just a, a survey that he did with these random sampling of adults. Here's the statement. I think I have the statement. I hope I do. If I don't, you can listen to me here. The statement that he put out there is this. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Two people could define truth in totally conflicting ways, but both could still be correct. I don't know about you. Just logically, that doesn't make sense, right? But he threw that out there. Here's some of the surprising results. 72% of Americans agreed with that statement. What's even more alarming, 62% of born-again believers that we call Christians that are sitting in churches Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, 62% of those individuals agreed with that statement. Can you say we got a problem? Just say it. We got a problem. You see, I believe, and, and we can see through this poll and this survey that the percentage of those who reject absolute truth is growing faster and faster and faster. But the alarming side of it is that more and more believers, more and more Christ followers, more and more born-again Christians are falling into that trap and they're going along with the idea that there is no absolute truth. Friends, how in the world... Can we as Christians even start to reclaim our culture if we do not believe in absolute truth? How can we stand and defend a biblical worldview if we do not believe in the absolute truth of the Word of God? We've got to get back to that. Well, it's not popular today. Jesus didn't tell you it was going to be popular. Are you with me? Say amen or oh me, but this is for you. Remember, I put that out there for you, okay? We've got to get back to the truth of the Word of God. That's a little bit about truth. Let's look a little bit and consider the defense of biblical moral standards or values. George Barna did another, re- another research. He discovered this. Talking about in the area of biblical moral standards, here's the results. 
One-third think that moral truth is absolute. A third of Americans, that's who he surveyed, just randomly across America, adults, a third of Americans think that moral truth is absolute. Look at the next one. Another third believe that moral truth is relative. And it's changing. And then a final third just don't have a clue what truth is. So that's kind of the statistics of just secular Americans today. But let's look and see where Christians fall in this. Professing born-again believers, shockingly, a majority of born-again believers, Christians, Christ followers, 64% of those that profess to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior fall in the category of the one-third that believe that, tr- that moral truth is relative and changing. What's the old saying? Houston, we've got a problem. Right? Church, we've got a problem. And if, if we're going to reclaim the culture... We've got to get back to the fundamentals of the faith. If we're going to reclaim the culture, we must get back to biblical, moral values and standards and the truth of the Word of God. Let me ask you, do you have a biblical worldview? Some folks may say, well, what in the world really is that? I'm not real sure what that is. Let me try to put it as simply as I can put it. I enjoy photography. We do a lot of of photography. I enjoy all the different lenses, and I enjoy the light in photography. I enjoy the shutter speed. I enjoy the ISO. I enjoy the aperture. I enjoy the triangular effect of all of those and and just playing around with that to create different images. I, I enjoy all that kind of stuff. But I want you to think about a lens, if you will. And you open up the aperture wide open to now I'm looking through this lens. Okay? Now, whenever we look at our world today, if we have a biblical worldview, then we are looking at everything in our world through the influence of Scripture. Okay? What does the Bible have to say about that? We see this situation. What does the Bible have to say about that? We see this political view or this political idea or this financial view or this financial idea or this relationships or whatever they may be. We look at everything through what? The Bible. Through a biblical worldview. Now, the problem is if we don't believe the Bible is true and if we believe God's Word and biblical value and biblical standards are always changing, then we've got a problem. We must look at everything through the absolute truth of the Word of God. And we must bring God's Word alongside everything that we are evaluating or that we're looking at. Now, the problem that many Christians do, they don't know how to do that with couth, if you will. In other words, they act like idiots whenever they bring the Word of God and look at something. They can't get into an intellectual conversation with someone without just absolutely looking like an idiot. Right? Now, we've got to learn how to... We've got to do better with that. In this culture, you can't just get up and slam everybody and say the blank with everybody. This is what God's Word said. Turn or burn. Right? 
That's the mentality that the church has, and that's why we're having little impact on our culture today. They write us off as, well, you know what they write us off as, just crazy religious fanatics. Listen, guys, we've got to find a way to bring the truth of the Word of God into this culture. Listen, we're in the year 2015. We're in this culture whether you like it or not. We're here. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And we've got to learn how to enter in these conversations and build these bridges and cross these bridges and, and, and touch these people in all these different areas and circumstances, situations that they're in and bring a biblical worldview to the situation. But just let me say this. Barna, his polling data reveals, get this, that among dedicated Christians, only about one in eight have a biblical world view. Do you get that? Only about one in eight have a biblical world view. And I just want to add this, that without a biblical world view, our faith becomes powerless. Say powerless. Our faith becomes powerless. So let me ask you a question. And I, this is all introduction, by the way. And by the way, that's about all this message is going to be. So I'm about halfway through my introduction, so hang with me, okay? Let me ask you a question. Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? We are all one of the two. Now, what does a thermostat do? A thermostat, you know what it does? It impacts this room. I can go over to that thermostat on the wall, and I can crank the heat up. I can crank it up so much, you'll start taking your coats off. You'll start fanning yourself. You will start sweating. What did I do? I made an impact on this room. Or I can go over there, and I can turn the heat off, which is probably what I would prefer. I'm very hot-natured. I like it cool. (laughs) I would prefer to bring it down. Let's get it to a nice, toasty level of 64, 65 degrees. That's wonderful. Right? (laughs) But what happens when I go over there and I crank that down to the nice, toasty, comfortable temperature of 64 degrees? Many of you would be getting blankets, putting on coats. I see Tiffany saying, no, no, she's in my camp. How many are in my camp? How many of you guys are hot and you like a little cooler? All right, we're about half and half here, okay? That's all right. It takes all kinds, right? Some are always right and others are wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But, but a, a thermostat impacts, influences this room, if you will. What does a thermometer, a thermometer do? Tell me. It's just going to tell you what the temperature is, right? It's just an indicator of the climate. It's just going to tell you what the culture is, tell you what the temperature is. So we've got to ask the question. In this culture today, in 2015, am I going to choose to be a thermostat or am I just going to be a thermometer? Well, that's just the culture. Yep, that's where we are. You know, we're just proclaiming as a thermostat would, it's 64 degrees or 68 degrees or whatever it is. That's just what it is. I tell you, we're going to have zero impact and there's no way we can reclaim our culture if we're all just thermometers. Well, that's just the way it is. You know, preacher, this is the year 2015. We just got to accept it. That's just how it is. Wrong. Right? That's wrong. 
Every single one of us, because living within us as born-again believers, we have the Holy Spirit. We, our body, is the tabernacle of God. He indwells in us. He gives us the power we need to go out and be thermostats, right, to impact this culture. Our culture is always trying to press us into its mold or press us into its mindset. But we've got to say, you know what? No, I refuse to be your thermometer, culture. I am going to be the thermostat. Now, we may have to start on a small scale, right? Where do we start with all of that? If I'm going to be a thermostat, where do I start? Well, first of all, I've got to start with me, right? I've got to start with myself. And then I can then start with my family. My next step would be my family. Our family... We gotta we gotta get families together and inside that home we need some dads that are stepping up and saying, Okay, our family, we're not gonna be a thermometer anymore. We're gonna be a thermostat family. Right? We're gonna be a thermostat family. Our family, we're gonna go against the wind. Every time I say that I think about Bob Seeger, and that kinda dates me a little bit. I don't I don't know about you guys, but and that tune starts going through my mind and I was a huge Bob Seeger fan back in the day. I still have some of his music on my device. But anyway, we got to decide that we're going to do that, right? Well, let me introduce you to someone. And, and I don't have time to really unpack all of this. I'm going to have to cut some stuff out of my notes. Uh, I just don't have time to get through all this. I want to introduce to you today a cultural warrior. Well, who is that warrior? Who is that man that rose up to impact his culture? Well, there's... The most obvious in the Bible is Jesus, right? We're going to look at some of what he did in the weeks to come. And some, some may surprise you in the methods that he used and what he did to impact and influence the culture of his day. And we're going to, we're going to glean from him some. We're going to impact or, or, or we're going to glean from him some to, to get some principles and things that he did so that we can impact our culture the way that he impacted his culture. But the culture warrior that I want to start with He's an Old Testament, it's an Old Testament book of the Bible. How many can guess who he is? And if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I accidentally let it leak one day, and I thought, oh, I don't need to tell that yet, and I backed that one up. But Daniel, I, I want to I introduce to, to you this man called Daniel. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, I want to read the scripture to you just a little bit. In Daniel chapter 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. And Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon and to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. Verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the, king, the chief of, of the court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men, in verse 4, without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom and knowledge and perceptive and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them to the Chaldean language and literature, or to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. And the king assigned, assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And they were to be trained for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to serve in the king's court. And among them 
are these four guys that you're very familiar with. The descendants of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then we jump down to verse number 17 of verse 1, or chapter 1. And God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Let me ask you a question. Who gave that? God. Who gave that? God. That's important. That's a key point I'm getting ready to unpack for you right here. Who gave them this wisdom and knowledge? God. God gave these four young men knowledge and wisdom in every kind of literature and wisdom. And Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. Who gave that to him? God. At the end of the time, the king had to present, or, or, or had said to present them, and the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, which was the king. And the king interviewed them, and among all of them, get this, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they began to serve in the king's court. Now, we're going to unpack him more next week. But here's what I want you to see. This young man, along with the other three Hebrew boys, these young men made an impact in their culture. And verse number 17 is a key verse. The very first word says, God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding. And he gave Daniel to allow him to understand vision and dreams. Who gave that again? Say it. God. That's point number one I want you to see. If we are going to impact our culture, then first of all, we must realize that our identity is in Christ Jesus, Him alone, not in the world, right? A lot of Christians need to go back and reevaluate their identity. We find our identity in other things besides in Jesus Christ. Now, these four Hebrew men, young men at the time, they were able to impact their culture because they knew that God had been with them, that God was with them, that God gave them some ways that they are to live out their life. And when they chose to do that, we see that God elevated them into a position in that culture where they could make an impact on that culture. Somebody needs to say amen, right? Do you guys realize what we need to do? We need to get back to the Word of God, and we need to say, God, I want to be a thermostat. God, I want to be a Daniel. I want to stand up and live my life on the principles of the Word of God. And when I start to do that, pardon me, I get a little bit excited at some of this stuff. And I, Please forgive me. But, but I am going to stand on the Word of God, and I'm going to try my, my very best to make decisions based off the biblical principles of the Word of God, because I want want to reclaim our culture, Paul. I want to stand for God and let the chips fall where they may. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. By the way, that's for you. So go ahead, right? Listen, guys, our identity has got to be in Christ Jesus. We can't find our identity in our careers, men. Men, sometimes we get so consumed in our careers of providing for the family. And thank God that you are fantastic workers. Thank God you've, you've grown yourself in your careers to where you can provide well for your family. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not your identity. 
right? That job where you go and work, whether it's in the Air Force or some government job or some other type of job, out there, that job where you go and work is just a means that God has chosen to be able to use you in that to provide for you. That's not the resource or the final source of every, all of your provisions in life. Who is our source? God. And He chose to use that and allow you to be there to be able to provide for you. Our identity is not in our career. Our identity is not in the type of house that we live in. Our identity is not in the type of car that we drive. Our identity is not in a hobby or a sport that we may enjoy. Our identity must be in Christ Jesus if we're going to reclaim our culture and have an impact on this culture in 2015. Now, I enjoy sports as much as anybody. I mean, I do. And I love NFL playoff time. I don't know anything better than wild card weekend and going into the playoffs with the NFL. Right? And my team is the Carolina Panthers. Not because I really love everybody on the team, but that's home. Right? They're based in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was raised about 60 miles just kind of north, northwest uh, from there in Hickory, North Carolina. So that's kind of home for me. So I pulled for the Panthers. So guess who I pulled for last night? We are going to play Seattle. The Panthers. Guess what I knew going into that game? We were going to get beat. Right? But guess what? That's okay. Because my identity is not in some sports team. My identity is not in playing some sport. My identity is not in some career. It's not in a house. It's not in a car. It's not in a financial status. My identity is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He promised me He would never leave me. He would never forsake me. He would take care of me. He would provide for me. Why would I not want to serve somebody like that? Right? Woo! Oh, wow. Our identity. If we're going to impact this culture... Paul, thank you for getting me fired up last week. You blame all this on Paul. He's the one that got it started. If you don't like the direction we're going, it's Paul's fault. Send him the nasty emails, right? (laughs) And I'm just picking on you. But guys, listen. If we're going to impact and reclaim our culture, it's going to take us knowing that our identity... Is in Christ. Now, I don't have time to unpack all those other verses of Scripture. I'll send you my outline if you want it. I've cut out a lot of stuff I haven't even covered just for the sake of time. If you want it, I'll send it to you. But this is, this is step number one. I mean, before we can move forward, remember I, I told you what is the first step? I think this has to be the first step. We've got to realize that our identity is in Jesus Christ, not in the world or the things of the world. It's in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, and I'm going to close with this one, and band, you can go ahead and come on up because I'm going to be done. Not that I'm done. I've got a whole lot more to say, but I've got to stop. Okay? Point number one is realize our identity is in Christ. Point number two, I want you to get this one. If we are going to reclaim our culture, then we must have solid biblical convictions. We must have solid biblical convictions. In other words, we must have a biblical worldview. Now, that doesn't mean we're hateful and we're arrogant and we're mean-spirited with it, right? But we've got to be able to see. We've got to be able to have this spirit of discernment, of being able to look at a situation, whatever that situation and circumstances may be, and look at that through a biblical worldview lens and be able to say, you know what? That's not lining up with the Bible. What can I do in a Christ-honoring, God-honoring way to make an impact on that situation. Now, guys, thankfully, Daniel 
Oh, I wish I had more time to really start unpacking this. I may have to come back and pick up here next week. But Daniel already had those biblical convictions in place before he was put into a situation where he had to make a stand on And guys, that's what we need to do. In the scripture, in the text, if you go read Daniel 1, you'll find where the king says, you know what, boys? I'm going to change your diet. I'm going to change your education. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you now to the University of Babylon. And here I am going to influence you. Daniel said, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I may have to go to this school, but I'm going to do things my way. And my way is I'm not going to eat what you want me to eat. I'm not going to drink what you want me to drink. I'm not going to take in and consume everything you want me to take in and consume as far as your knowledge and your wisdom is concerned. Because I believe that God gave me a diet. God gave me a way that I'm supposed to live. God gave me wisdom. God gave me knowledge. God gave me the ability to interpret dreams and visions. That's all Daniel. Not me. That's all what all Daniel's saying. Daniel chapter 1. And he said, you know what? This situation that I'm in, everybody do like this. It really helps you. Now, make that hole look small and look through it. That situation that I'm in, the circumstances that I'm in, things that I'm involved in, things that may come up on the job tomorrow, I'm going to look at those through the lens of a biblical worldview. And then I'm going to ask God for wisdom and knowledge on how to handle this situation. I'm going to speak in love and compassion and mercy and, here's a big word, grace. Right? I'm going to realize that some people that may be trying to force me into that type of decision or perspective or worldview, they just don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. And I'm going to allow them some grace and mercy. Right? I'm going to extend it to them as it was extended to us. Church, are you with me? Sometimes we get so dogmatic with our worldviews that we leave a wake of people behind us that we have almost destroyed spiritually. We've got to have grace in this thing, okay? I get passionate, I get fired up, but we've got to have grace. We've got to ask for wisdom. We've got to deal with these situations compassionately and with love and with a heart that cares. And I'm going to unpack some of that. That's how Jesus dealt with it. And I'm going to unpack that in the weeks to come. But we've got to look through this. We've got to have these solid biblical convictions. And this may be a whole other point, maybe a whole other sermon. But I'm really sharing with you 25 years of pastoring and watching how people act in the church and out of the church. When you're looking at things with a biblical worldview, you can't have this holier-than-thou, pious type of an attitude or mentality that you are better than someone else, that you are more righteous than someone else. That, that your standards are way above someone else's standards and look at me, I must be closer to Jesus. Actually, you're probably the furthest one from Him. Right? Guys, we've got to look through this biblical worldview and then show compassion like Jesus showed compassion. Show love like He showed love. Mercy and grace like He showed mercy and grace. Then I think we can start. We know our identities in Jesus. We know what our biblical worldviews are, and we're 
bringing those two things together and we're taking the first step. That's just the first step of reclaiming our culture and having an impact. I wonder if every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I just want to pray with you right now. We're not going to have a time where you come up and kneel and pray or anything. I want you to just do business with the Lord right there in your seat right now. Let me ask you. Let's start with this. Ask yourself. Evaluate yourself. Am I a thermostat or a thermometer? Am I impacting the climate, if you will, that we're calling the culture? Or am I just reflecting what it is? Why don't you pray right now and ask God to make you a thermostat? it is. We're in this evaluation time. This is the this is the time when we really start making decisions with the Lord. Where do you find your identity? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're just doing business, just one-on-one with the Lord right now, all of us together. Where do you find your identity? Is it in Christ? Praise the Lord. But let's be real truthful. Or do we place our identity in our careers, our education, our houses, our cars, our financial status, how popular we are, how many friends we have on Facebook? What do we put our identity in? God's Everyone, our identity must be in Jesus. That's who we are. He created us. He made us. He drew us unto Himself. He died on the cross for us. He was buried. He rose again for us. He's seated by God the Father right now, making intercession for you and for me. He loves us. He's the one we need to find our identity in. So this morning, I want to help you right there in that area. Just that one area. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then may today be the day when you trust Him as your Savior and as your God. If you're here today and you've been a believer for some time and you prayed that sinner's prayer maybe years ago and Why don't today be the day you rededicate, recommit your life to Christ? Start fresh. Start anew. This is the beginning of a brand new year. Let's pray together. Father, there are some here today that are praying to receive you as their personal Savior. They look at their life and they realize that they're a sinner, that you died for the world, and that you died for them. You were buried. You rose again. They'll just simply confess their sins and ask you to forgive them. The Bible says that you will forgive them. You will come in and suck with them and they with you. You will have fellowship with them. You will make them one of your children. Father, I pray for that individual today. May they pray something like this. If that is you, why don't you pray silently? Maybe a prayer like this. Just say, dear God, I realize that, that I need a Savior. 
my identity is not in you. It's never been in you. But today, I want my identity to be in King Jesus. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I realize that I'm so far from you, and I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have fellowship with you, so I just simply ask you to forgive me. I believe you are the sinless Son of God who died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And right now, I just ask you to be my Lord and be my Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Maybe there are others here that need to continue that prayer and say, Lord, I've accepted you as my Savior years ago, but today I'm making a new vow to you. And I'm going to quit being the thermometer and I'm going to start being the thermostat. And I'm going to reclaim my uh, my identity that's in you. And I'm going to step forth. And I'm going to look through a biblical worldview. And today, God, I want to do my very best. Moving forward on Monday, moving forward on Tuesday, on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, on the job, off the job, at home, in the family, at the grocery store, wherever I may be. God, I want to make an impact for you. Help me, God, to do that. Forgive me for where I've felt you. Use me for your glory. Father, I pray for the entire church now. Help us as a church body and a church family. God, we are powerless without you. Father, we need you in our lives. We need you in our church family. And if we're going to reclaim our culture, if Victory Church is going to just step out there with love and compassion and mercy and grace and patience, without a judgmental attitude or spirit or condemning folks, but just loving them to Jesus, start one day at a time, one situation at a time, one circumstance at a time, we're going to start impacting, reclaiming our culture. Father, thank you for what you're about to do in the hearts and lives of those that are here. For those that are listening to this podcast today, thank you, God, for what you're doing in their hearts and in their lives. The thousands, Lord, we're able to reach through the internet and through the, the media. We pray, God, that you would impact them. Help us to start a revolution to impact and reclaim our culture for you in 2015. Wow, that's a big thing. And I'm just going to start with my own personal life. And I'm going to start at home. And I'm going to start on the job on Monday, wherever that may be. I'm going to start small and I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. If we all do that together, we will make an impact. Bless this time, Father. In your name we pray. And all God's people said. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. 
If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.